recognize that? Rembrandt. All right, and what is this? Picture of the prodigal son coming home. Painted shortly before his death in 1699, it hangs in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, Russia. And some have called this the greatest painting ever painted. It so happens that I have a painting, not simply a photograph of the painting, hang in my living room. However, it is not worth hundreds of millions of dollars because it has a different signature on it. But it was given to me at my retirement as EMCC president as a very special gift at an assembly a couple of years ago. And I prize it because it also reflected the fact that my board, the EMCC National Board, understood the journey that we had been on. Actually, at that point, for 13 years with our number three son, our fourth child, that very much the prodigal. And we knew that God would answer, we just didn't know how or when. And it was April of this last year that there was finally a breakthrough in the life of our son who had been in bondage from drugs and alcohol ever since the age of 15. So we were immensely thankful for that. But this picture means so much because <clears throat> It was a reflection, of course, of the love and understanding of the folk that I serve on your behalf, and uh, the folk who were my friends and colleagues in the work of the Lord. And it is, of course, the story of the greatest story, the greatest love that the world has ever known. It is the story of our Heavenly Father's love for us. <clears throat> we very often pray the Lord's Prayer, and it begins with Our Father. We know that. But because we have learned to recite it, and it is good to know how to recite it, sometimes we do it more or less in a mindless, ritualistic fashion. And perhaps we have never thought deeply enough about what it means for our God, our Lord, to say, call me Father. Now there are those I know who say, well, my earthly father was no one that I could admire. In fact, experienced a lot of hurt. And I understand that that's the case for some. But I also know that that is not the pattern that God had established. And so we see the pattern of the loving relationship that God intends for our human fathers. But it is reflected in his own love for us. There are many lessons from the prodigal son's story. But these words are so poignant. It's so clear that the youngest son said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In other words, I wish you were dead. I don't care for you. I just want my inheritance. And yet, his father gave him his inheritance. And then he goes off, he squatters it, he finally comes to his senses. Don't you love that phrase in the text? And when he came to his senses, 
And the only reason we are here, friends, I trust, is because we have finally come to our senses that there is hope and life nowhere else. But what we see, he's making his way home. He doesn't really know what kind of reception he's going to receive. He's willing to come in as a servant because he knows that he has no right to expect anything from his father. And yet, what we read is, well, the son was still a long way off. His father saw him. So what does that tell us about the father, that he was looking for his son every day. He's wanting his son to come home. And then he doesn't just wait in his dignity. He runs. You ever seen an old man run? <laughs> you know how we run? Not a pretty sight. <laughs> but we do our best. He wrapped his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And you know how the rest of the story unfolds. But here is where we need to understand the nature of God's love for us. And the nature of what human father's love is called to be and can be in Jesus. Aren't you encouraged by that? And I want to tell you again that this is a unique perspective that you do not find it in any other worldview. In fact, it is Jesus who reveals to us God as Father. And that's why the word love appears so much throughout Scripture, particularly in the teaching of Jesus. Love. Love. But love is costly. And we see that Jesus reveals our Father's love in His teaching. We have just read it. And so this is engaged love. This is love that really, really affects us, transforms us. And this morning as we come to communion, I pray that you'll experience a renewal in your sense of love for our God. It would be such a heartbreak to come, to go through the motions, and not experience the blessing that God has for us. So I trust that you are praying, even now, Lord, speak to me, speak to us. Because our Father wants to embrace us. And that means that maybe our hearts need to be broken all over again. Hope you're going to pray, Lord, break my heart if you need to. And so this is the teaching of Jesus that we read so often in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I hope you're listening. These are amazing words. Because we are like the prodigal son. Read Romans 3 and see what our heart condition is. How we have treated our God. We have ignored him. We've turned our back on him. We've gone deep, deep into ways that are contrary to his will. 
And yet God in His redemptive love is reaching out to us through His Son. And so it is the Son, the one and only Son, the unique Son of God, who reveals the depths of the love of our Heavenly Father. Let's understand that it is not an angry Father and a loving Jesus. This is the decided will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity past, that we should be redeemed by the blood of His Son. What love! And Jesus reveals our Father's love in His own person. So if you have difficulty relating to our transcendent God, where do you look? You look to Jesus! You want to know what His love is like? Look at Jesus! Look how He lives! And look how He chooses to die on our behalf! In the wonderful passage that we have in John 14, there is this interesting conversation. The Lord is trying to bring comfort as He is about to be arrested. And He says to the disciples that you have trusted in the Father, so you should trust in Him. There's the wonderful conversation in which you have the wonderful truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip says, well, Lord, if, if, we, if you show us the Father, then we'll be satisfied. Jesus says to Philip, have I been with you all this time and you still don't get it? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, we use the expression like father, like son. And this is he, the truth in its perfection. You want to see the Father? Look at the Son. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. Now, can you look at the Son without seeing the radiance of the Son? I'm not recommending you go and look at the Son, although today I don't think you have much of a problem. But you know that you will not see the sun unless you look at the radiance of the sun, right? And so, to see the radiance is to see the sun. This is the relationship between father and son. And then the second expression, the exact representation. Have you got a coin in your pocket? Yeah, a loony, a toonie, something like that. And what do you see imprinted on there? How did it get there? And they all look the same. How did it get there? What is there? Anybody know where your money comes from? From the royal mint, right? And what do they have in the royal mint? They have the dyes. They have the stamps. And so if you look at the die, what do you see? You see the exact representation of what's on your coin. This is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. This is the actual term. And so you want to see the Father and look at the Son. You want to know about His love. You want to know about His character. You want to know about His priorities. Then look at the Son. 
Let's make no mistake about it. That's why we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Who is the Lord? The Father is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. The Spirit is the Lord. But let's understand that we are celebrating the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted. And of course, Jesus reveals the Father's love in his death for us. Friends, I pray that this morning we will be so renewed that we'll finally let go of all our small ambitions, our petty problems, everything else that tends to draw our attention. We read in Romans chapter 5, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless. Are we still powerless? We still are. Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Ungodly. We think we're pretty good. That's only because we're judging by a relative standard. When we judge by the standard of the life of Christ, who measures up? Who measures up? Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have now been justified by his blood. And so the elements this morning that we will partake Remind us of the body and the blood of Christ given for us. We sing this wonderful hymn. Thank you, Mark, for how you led us in prayer this morning. O sacred head, thou wounded with grief and shame, weighed down. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine, the deadly day. By the way, the uh, bread this morning is very authentic. It, this is Passover bread. It happens to be gluten-free, for whom that's important. We can thank Marie for actually preparing this for us today. So do not be concerned if gluten is an issue for you as well. And so, friends, I ask you, are you ready to pray the Lord's Prayer with this understanding that the privilege that we have to say, Father, Father, Yes, Father is bought by the blood of Jesus. And so when you're saying, our Father, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And you are also making a statement about the work of the Spirit. Because you see, it is the work of the Spirit to apply the reality of what God has done in our lives. Romans 5, 6, we read about that very clearly. And so this morning, I am going to ask you, how do we choose to live? Are we ready to renew our love in response to His love? Have I forgotten my first love? You know, Calvary, you still in love with your good wife? You need to say yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can try to 
stand up afterwards. Or, 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 or you, can, you can beat me up afterwards. But friends, have we really, really taken to heart that somebody died so that I could live? Ryan, Ryan Arnold, his brother, was dying because of liver failure. He was a match. He offers to have part of his liver given to his brother Chad. Brother Chad received the transplant and lived. Ryan died. Okay. What do you think Chad is thinking? What do you think his heart is full of? Does it bring a tear to your eye? How about the death of Jesus for you? Does that bring a tear to your eye? If it doesn't, it's time to remember your first love. Friar Maximilian Colby, Second World War, you know the awful things that the Nazis did. Auschwitz is the name of one of the concentration camps. Six million Jews, many, many others, many believers who stood against the Nazi regime. So Friar Maximilian is present when, for some reason, those who wanted, who were running the camp decided that they wanted to do an experiment. They wanted to see what it would be like to see somebody starve to death, so they chose Ted. Now one of the men begged and pleaded, thinking that he might be able to be reunited with his family. I don't really understand or know all the background. Friar Maximilian stepped forward and said, I will take this man's place. I will take this man's place. How do you think that man felt? Am I trying to get an emotional response from you? Absolutely. Because you see, if we're not engaged at that level, we really don't understand what our Savior has transacted for us. Now, I don't think that the uh, Nazi overlords understood what they had. But for the next three weeks, Friar Maximilian uh, sang songs continuously to keep the spirits up of these men who were condemned to die in this horrible way. They finally killed him just because he was such a nuisance to them. Powerful, powerful story. And so I ask you this morning, how big is your thankfulness? How big? Small thanks or small kindness, you give me a cup of coffee, I'll say thanks. But friends, this is so much more, infinitely more, than when typically we experience in our lives. How shall we give thanks for someone who gave himself for me? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We have the example of Stephen. End of uh, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, a man who was filled with the Spirit, given, gifted by God to speak powerfully and clearly to the Jewish leaders, 
who stood in opposition to the clarity of the beautiful offer of God in Christ. And finally, they could not stand what he was saying, and so they began to shout and scream, and they dragged him out in order to stone him. Can you imagine what it is like to have that kind of experience? Have you had your life threatened and had that kind of experience where you are in fear? And please note that in verse 58 it says that there was a young man named Saul present. Saul, that we know better by the name Paul. And while Stephen is being stoned, here is, he's the first martyr of the Christian church. He fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Did he call out judgment upon them? No. Where did he learn this? He learned this from his Savior. That's how we know. That's how we know where his heart was and what his heart relationship was with his Lord. Because he prayed the same prayer that his Savior prayed. And friends, I don't know about you, but I want to align myself with Stephen, don't you? Don't you? And so that means that we need to let go of those things which are holding us back. Jesus in your attitudes, behaviors, and character. Saying number three of the way of Jesus. So, how shall we live? Here is the Apostle Paul talking about uh, what happens when uh, somebody does dirt to us, wrongs us in some way. He says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Yeah, I suspect all of us have had experiences where we have felt injustice, right? Sometimes that's with our spouses, and then we have these really interesting domestic squabbles, which are not interesting, they are damaging. And away we go because we are right! Right? I uh, decided I was going to fight a ticket that I once received for a particular offense. And uh, I went all the way back to Sudbury from Toronto to fight this ticket. I set my case out. They were very gracious to listen to me set my case out. And then they judged against me anyway. I was angry because I got the ticket, and then I was angry because of the fact that they didn't listen. And get it right. And even now I'm thinking about it. But then I have to resolve whether or not God's word is true and that I'm going to be obedient to God's word. Do not take revenge, my friend. So don't tear up your license. Don't decide you're going to shoot the police. You know, all kinds of weird thoughts that go through your head. You think I'm kidding? You think I'm kidding? Well. Don't get it on my wrong side. No. <laughs> but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will 
trust is everywhere in all kinds of situations. In our workplace, right? At school, in the church, right? On the contrary, listen, this is what we are called to. This is what we saw in Stephen. If your enemy is hungry, what? Starve him to death? Feed him! If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Friends, you have enemies here? How do you respond? In doing this, you will do what? Keep burning coals on his head. Now this is so counterintuitive that it's mind-boggling. But this is what God calls us to. I have a dear brother who is the leader of a movement of God, about four million in India. An extraordinary thing that God is doing. And as uh, they were celebrating his 60th birthday, and this is in a congregation that is numbers of the thousands, you know, having a gathering of thousands. We couldn't muster enough people in this county to have these kinds of meetings. The province uh, or the state of Uttar Pradesh in India alone has 170 million people. India has 1.4 billion people, all right? I've had Indian friends come here, and as we're traveling around, they say, where are all the people? <laughs> Our uh, population average is about four people per square kilometer. Theirs is about 400 per square kilometer. And yes, you will see them everywhere. <laughs> but let me tell you that the testimony that his son gave was this. My father has faced much opposition. He's been accused and dragged into court for all kinds of serious crimes, even murder, falsely. And yet he said, my father has defeated his enemies by prayer and won them by love. Isn't this what we see here? So, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And so a year, two, ten years later, these opponents, these enemies have come back to testify to this man's integrity, you see. And they have come and said, I was wrong. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is how we show that we belong to Jesus and that our hearts are in tune with his. It's as simple as that, friends. Am I alone here? Are you going to agree with me? You can agree. Anybody can say amen? amen. All right. And so we choose not to be sidetracked or stopped by someone else's stupidity. I know so. Or blindness or even wickedness. I in it to follow Jesus. We keep our eye on him. We imitate him. And so like Stephen, I say, Lord, do not lay, uh, lay this charge against him. We do not hold out until we are satisfied that an offender has received his just punishment. Friends, we will live and die 
before we ever see that satisfied. And we do not wait until justice is served before being obedient to our higher calling. That is as sin, as serious as whatever offense you think there was. God will set things right in His time. God will set things right in His time. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. It will happen. And so here's another song we sing. Take my life and let it be. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Is that what we're going to say today as we're taking communion? Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. So this, friends, touches all of us. Not only those who are looking at me, but the person I see when I look in the mirror. <clears throat> when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, this thing that I'm cherishing, that might be a bad thing, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. How shall we live? Story from India. Graham Stewart Staines and his two sons were sleeping in their car when a group of Hindu fundamentalists decided to torch the car. They were alive. They were burned alive. This happened January 23, 1999. Horrific. So what terrible thing was Graham and Gladys and family doing there? They had been working with the poor and with lepers in the state of Odisha for 34 years, sharing the love of Jesus. What were Gladys's words? By the way, they've apparently just released a movie about uh, this, this story just this year. Worth looking up. Remember this name. Gladys says, I forgive those who perpetuated this. I want them to know the love of Jesus. And finally, finally, the government recognized the extraordinary work that she's done. They gave her the Mother Teresa Memorial International Award for Social Justice. Friends, it is not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Is God speaking to you yet? Because we're going to come to the communion table soon. And we sing... All to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. So surrender all. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender. I surrender. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. So I ask you this morning, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? Because it's not about me speaking to you. It's about what God is saying to you. What is God saying to you? So let's prepare our hearts. Let's prepare ourselves. Let's resolve that we will do as Scripture says because 
of being obedient to Jesus is bigger, more important than all our own ambitions. All our pride, everything we are. 1 Corinthians 11.23, the instruction that Paul gives concerning the Lord's table. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he gave thanks, remember this is part of the Passover, that these elements are part of the Passover. There's a continuity between what we see in the book of Exodus, by the way, I hope you're doing the Bible reading, whatever schedule you're following, and what we see in what's happening here. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, including the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, the blood that was sprinkled on the doorposts and on the lid. And when he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you remember him? Will you remember him? I heard the story a number of years ago about a farmer whose little boy was riding his bicycle on the country road in front of the farm. Car came along, hit him, killed him. You imagine how that little bread broke in his heart. The farmer kept that bicycle, that manual bicycle, in the bed of his chicken. Fred Monday says, why do you do that? It makes you cry every time you look at it. And then the farmer said, because it reminds me, it reminds me of the Father's love. Gave his son Jesus, and how much it cost him to lose his beloved son. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. God's new covenant, full of promise for us, guaranteeing us eternal life, guaranteeing us abundant life right here. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you remember Jesus? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And are you ready for Jesus to return? Is there unfinished business? Friends, we don't want unfinished business when we meet the Lord. And it might be that he will come, but it might be that he will take us. So Paul reminds us that there is, in fact, a lesson. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man, a woman, must examine himself, herself, and in so doing, to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. So friends, let's come. There's an open invitation. It's a positive invitation. But let's make sure we've done our business with the Lord. Let's make sure that we are determined to settle accounts in the way that our Lord teaches us to settle things <coughs> with others. Come, eat, rejoice. I invite those who are serving to join in coming forward.
and then I invite you all to come to the Masters, to the Messiah's table.